Well, this morning we're going to continue our series, uh, Rejoice in the Lord, uh, a verse-by-verse study in the book of Philippians, and I hope that uh, it's been a help and an encouragement to you thus far. Uh, if it hasn't, well, we still have about three and a half chapters left. So, <laughs> uh, But uh, Philippians chapter 1, if you would uh, turn in your Bibles over to that uh, passage, uh, Philippians chapter 1, and as you're finding that, if you would join me in standing, we'll read uh, verses 19 through verse 26 this morning. And uh, the title of uh, today's message is A Tough Choice, A Tough Choice in uh Philippians chapter 1, verse 19 through 26, we see this tough choice here that Paul is, uh, is trying to make. Philippians 1, verse 19 says, For I know that this shall turn my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, So now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor, yet what I shall choose I wot not. For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better, Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith, that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you again. And let's pray one more time together. Lord, we thank you for this service thus far. Lord, thank you for the music. Lord, thank you for the baptism and what a great picture that was. Uh, Lord, I thank you for the time to worship you. Lord, now as you uh, desire to speak to us, I pray, Lord, that you would indeed do that through the preaching of your word. I pray that you would empower me. Uh, Lord, I pray you'd hide me behind the cross. Lord, I don't want to be the one being noticed. I want the message to be noticed, though. And I pray, Lord, as we hear today, that we would decide to do as well as just hear. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, this morning we're going to do something a little different than we have ever done here. We're going to start with a little game. Uh, Maybe you have seen these at a restaurant, especially if you have children. Uh, You get those those menus, you know, the children's menus that have activities and games on them. Uh, This is uh, one that is a conversation conversation starter type of a game, and it's one of those would-you-rather games. And so I have a few of these questions I would like to ask this morning. And so first of all, here's the first question. Would you rather never get a paper cut again or never get something stuck in your teeth again? What choice would you make? I'll say it again. Would you rather never get a paper cut again or never get something stuck in your teeth again? How many of you say, I'd rather never get Uh, A paper cut again, would you raise your hand? Okay, a few of you. How many would say, I'd rather never get something stuck in my teeth again? That's me. I am in that boat for sure. Every time I eat a steak, I get steak stuck in my teeth. So it's kind of a meal after the meal, (laughs) Uh, which is a blessing, kind of. Um, 
All right, so next question. Would you rather never have to clean a restroom again or never have to do dishes again? So never have to clean a restroom again or never do dishes again. Okay, how many would say I would never, I would rather never do another restroom as long as I live? Most hands are up. How many say I'd rather never do dishes again? I'm in the dishes category. I don't, I am not a dishes guy. All right. Next question. Would you rather only wear one color each day or have to wear seven colors each day? So one color or seven colors each day. How many say, I'd rather only wear one color every day? I figured you were going to be in that boat, Brother David. I was thinking about you with this question. How many of you say, I'd rather wear seven colors every day? Just every day. I'm just that bold of a person. Okay, very good. I see some hands there, and I'm not surprised at some of them. Okay. Uh, all right, next question here, a couple more. Would you rather travel the world for a year, all expenses paid, or have 40 grand to spend on whatever you want. I'll read that again. Would you rather travel the world for a year, all expenses paid, or have $40,000 to spend on whatever you want? How many would rather travel the world, all expenses paid? All right, how many say, I'd, I'll take the cash, man. <laughs> all right, good. I think I would probably prefer the cash. Um, all right. Uh, last question here, would you rather, this is a weird one, would you rather eat a box of dry spaghetti noodles or two cups of uncooked rice? Would you rather eat a box of dry spaghetti noodles or two cups of uncooked rice? How many say, I guess give me the spaghetti if it's going to be one of them. All right, I'm in that boat too. How many say, I, I don't mind the rice, I can eat the uncooked rice. Okay, there's some strange individuals here. Um, <laughs> So we, we've learned some things about each other this morning. Um, and again, I, I don't normally do this, but I, I, I think it fits with this message because Paul was faced uh, with uh, a choice in this particular passage and uh, was way more important than any of the choices we just mentioned this morning. Uh, it was literally a choice between life and death. You see, during Paul's time in prison, he faced the reality that he may never get out of that prison. And uh, he was playing out the, the choice between getting out and departing from this life and the what-ifs of life. And he said, what if I don't get out? Would I be okay with that? Uh, but what if I do? Is that good too? Um, because honestly, what's on the other side is kind of compelling. And I'm kind of looking forward to that. In verse 23, he uh, comments here, he says, for I am in a strait betwixt two. He's like, I'm in a difficult spot here because I want both life and I want death because I know what's on the other side of this life. Now, this morning as we look at this tough choice, I want to notice four aspects of Paul as he faces this difficult choice in his life. First of all, in this passage, I want us to see in verse number 19, Paul's assurance. Paul has some assurances in his life and he says in verse 19, For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the su supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Now, at, at first glance, you may think, this shall turn to my salvation. I thought he was already saved. Well, he was uh, already saved, and he is saved as he writes this. He's not talking about his eternal salvation. He's talking about his situation there in prison. He's saying, uh, I'm expecting to be let go from this prison when he says 
I know this shall turn to my salvation. He's saying, I know that I'm going to be saved from this prison. I'm going to be released. I'm going to be let go. I'm going to experience some freedom again. But here's what he was assured of. He wasn't just assured that he was going to be released. He, he was assured of some things, uh, of the way he was going to be let go uh, from this prison. First of all, he was assured of the prayers of the people. Again, verse number 19, For I know, so again, his assurance, his confidence here, I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer. Through your prayer. You see, he cherished and understood the value of the prayers of God's people for him. He was greatly aware that the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And he knew that this church family was there having in their services special times of prayer for Paul. Uh, because of the situation. And, and I'm sure that church family got together. It was on their Wednesday night prayer list, I'm sure. Or whatever means that they had of prayer. And they, uh, they made sure that they mentioned the fact that Paul was in this prison. And I'm sure that they prayed for his release. Paul knew that and he was assured of their prayers. Uh, 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 11 as Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. He commented there, he said, ye also helping together by prayer for us. So there were churches in that day that helped Paul through prayer. And really, there's a lot of ways that we can help someone, but the greatest way we can help someone is through prayer. And Paul understood that, and that's why he was uh, commenting about their prayers. He often requested that people would pray for him. Uh, I think about one instance uh, when he uh, wrote to the Ephesians. If you flip over to just one page back in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 6 and look in verse number 18, he says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And then he goes on in verse 19, And for me, that utterance may be given unto me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. And so he oftentimes requested and appreciated the prayers of these church families for his ministry. Uh, I think of a couple ladies in my life in ministry who have been faithful to pray for me and my ministry and our family as we've been serving the Lord for, for well, I guess for 19 years. Uh, there was a lady in California. She was an elderly lady. Her name was... Mrs. Virginia Green. She was a Sunday school teacher for boys for many, many years. And, uh, and she kept in contact with those boys decades later. Uh, just an example of a godly lady who loved people. Well, she was up there in years and even rarely came to church when we started there in California. But yet she had uh, come to know us. She had come a few services, and, and we went to visit her on, a, on occasion. But one of the things she commented to us was she said, you, I want you to know, Eric and Julie, I pray for you and your family every day. And I can't tell you what that meant to us, to understand that this lady who rarely even sees us remembers us in prayer. I mean, we're not even the pastor. I was just a lowly youth pastor at the time. Not that youth pastors are lowly, but I was a lowly one. If there ever was a lowly youth pastor, that was me. And uh, she would pray for our family every day, and that just meant so much to me. 
And then uh, my wife's great aunt, uh, Jeannie, and she is not just a great aunt in technical terms, she is a great aunt in practical terms as well, because she also prays for us and our family every day as well. Again, means so much to us. Now, Mrs. Green has been taken off the scene. She's gone on to glory. And when she did, we began to notice some things in our family. We began to feel the void of her prayers. Uh, My wife's great aunt Jeannie is getting up there in years too, and one day she'll fall off the scene. And so I'm going to ask this question, who's going to take their place? And I'm not just trying to solicit for me, although I am, because I need your prayers. I really do. But who else can you be faithful to pray for as well? Uh, our missionaries need our prayers. Our, government, our governmental leaders need our prayers. And Paul understood he was assured of the prayers of the people, and he knew that they were going to be faithfully praying for him, and he knew that was going to be part of the reason he was going to be let go from this prison. So he was assured of the prayers of the people, but also he was assured of the supply of the Spirit. Again, verse number 19 here in Philippians 1 For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. You know, he understood that it would be be the Lord who would answer their prayer. He believed the great supply of power that God possesses. And he again understood and believed that he is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. You know, he had faith that... Uh, He was going to be set free because he knew nothing was too difficult for the Lord. He would have agreed with the prayer of Jeremiah when he said, Ah, Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth by thy great power and stretched out arm, and there is nothing too hard for thee. He said, these shackles that I'm in, they're nothing for the Lord. He had seen God deliver him from prison before. So he knew that God could do it again and that nothing was too difficult for him. Uh, Christian, what are you going through right now? What prison are you dealing with? And we talked a little bit about this last Sunday. What prison are you dealing with right now? Do you believe that God could get you out of that prison? Do you believe that God has the power to do that? We all would mentally assent to say, yes, I believe. But do you actually believe that God is powerful enough to help you with your situation? Can I just declare to you as your friend and as your pastor that God can deliver you out of anything that you ever face? There's no giant too big for God. As you face a Goliath in your life, I'm telling you, God can take that giant down. God is big and God is strong and God is powerful. And he was, he, uh, Paul was assured that he would be set free from this prison, but his assurance was based on the prayer of the people and the supply of the Spirit. He knew that God would deliver him from this prison. So we see, first of all, Paul's assurance. But I want us to see, secondly, in verse number 20, Paul's aim. What was Paul aiming for? What was his goal in life? Let's read verse 20. According to my earnest expectation and my hope, my aim, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. There were uh, three parts to this 
uh, aim that Paul had in his life. First of all, he was uh, hoping and expecting to not be ashamed. Not be ashamed, again in verse 20, that in nothing I shall be ashamed. He said, I don't, wanna, I don't want Christ to find me and be ashamed of me. I don't want to be ashamed in light of him. Paul's greatest fear, and by the way, mine as well, was that he would be ashamed. If you want to flip over with me and kind of keep your place here in Philippians, over to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We'll see Paul's greatest fear. And again, I believe every minister's greatest fear, and some fears have been realized for some, unfortunately, and I pray that never happens to me. But I know that it sure could, and so I need to follow what I'm about to read. But 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize, so run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Oh, now they do it to attain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible I therefore so run, not as uncertainty, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Paul's greatest fear was that he would uh, fall away from uh, his, his life backing up his message. He never wanted to be a castaway. He didn't want to get put on the shelf because, oh, I have disqualified myself from God's service. And so he said, we need to be temperate in all things. And uh, we need to keep under our bodies and bring it into subjection so that we don't live an ashamed life. Well, Paul was definitely not ashamed when it came to giving the gospel. Uh, we said, or he, he preached and uh, wrote to the church at Rome, Romans chapter 1, verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, to live in such a way that we would not be ashamed. And that was Paul's aim and goal in life. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 28, John writes to his writers or readers, and he says, and now little children abide in him that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before Him at His coming. It's that whole opening the door and seeing your child do something they know they shouldn't be doing, and they look at you like, uh-oh, I've been caught. Uh, to not live in such a way that that would happen as the Lord would come back for us. So Paul's aim was to not be ashamed, but it was also to be bold for Christ. Verse 20 again, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness. You see, he wanted to be bold for Christ, and it was a joy to hear last Sunday night as the teens got up and shared some testimonies from camp about how God has worked in their heart, and, and a few of them shared that they were, wanted to be more bold for Christ. Well, that was one of, you're in good company, because that's what Paul's aim and goal and decision was as well. He wanted to be bold for Christ. As you think about the uh, life of Paul and think about who he witnessed to and who he had the opportunity to give the gospel to, I mean, sure, yes, it was, it was the Philippian uh, jailer uh, there after the earthquake. 
Uh, he may not have been the, you know, the elite of society, although jailers are the elite of the society in our day. Better be careful. <laughs> but uh, he wasn't, you know, this governmental leader or anything like that. But then Paul also had the opportunity to uh, witness to governors and, and uh, great uh, government leaders. And he, was, he had the opportunity to do that. So he had that boldness, but he wanted to keep that boldness going as he had opportunities uh, to preach the gospel. Acts chapter 4 and verse 13 talks about the boldness of Peter and John. It says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men. They marveled. They took knowledge of him, of them, that they had been with Jesus. That's an interesting verse. Because Peter and John were not these, you know, educated, you know, had a bunch of letters after their name. Uh, they, were, they were ignorant men, but they came in with great power and great boldness. And they realized, hmm, I know why they were bold. Not because they ate something crazy for breakfast, but because they had spent time with their Savior. And that gave them the boldness to go forward and, and to preach with, uh, with great power. I hope that you have a desire as well to be bold for Christ. God's placed you in your neighborhood for a reason. He has given you the family members that He has given you for a reason. He wants you to be a light. He has given you the job He has given you for a reason. And He has placed those co-workers around you for a reason. The ones that you like and the ones that you don't like as much. He put them there so that you can be bold for Christ. Can I encourage you to do that? To have Paul's aim in this? To share in that desire for boldness when it comes to your witness for the Lord? to be bold for Christ. So Paul's aim was to not be ashamed and to be bold for Christ. And then thirdly, it says here, uh, Paul's aim was to magnify Christ. Again, in verse number 20, at the end of that verse, but now, but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. I want to magnify the Lord in my life. I want to make Him bigger. I want people to think big of God when they think of me and big of God when they see my life. Is that true for you? Are they seeing God in a bigger way than they ever have by anyone else? Psalm 34 and verse number 3, the psalmist said, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt His name together. What a great motto for life. Magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt His name together. John put it this way, John the Baptist. He said in John chapter 3 and verse 30, talking about Jesus, He must increase, but I must decrease. And if we're going to glorify and magnify and exalt the Lord in our life, we're going to have to be less of us and more of Him. Too, much, too many times Christians want more of us. I want my way. I want to do things the way I want to do them. Lord, you can, you can have Sunday mornings. I'll go to church on Sunday mornings. You can have that. 
But you having your will and your way in all my life? <laughs> you see, the only way that Christ is going to be magnified in our life is if we decrease so that He can increase. So does your life magnify the Lord? Do people think more of God because of your life, by the way that you work, by your work ethic? Does it say the right things about God? By the way that you respond to difficulty, does that say the right things about God? What about the, by the way you treat others? Does that say that God is big and powerful and strong in your life? Paul wanted to magnify Christ in his life, whether it was through his life or through his death, it didn't matter. He wanted Christ to get the glory. He wanted people to think big of God. And I want to encourage you to have the same aim as well. Now, as has been said, he who aims at nothing hits it every time. So it's important for us as believers to have a similar aim for our lives, that we would not be ashamed, that we would live in boldness for Christ, and that our lives would magnify and lift him up. So we see Paul's assurance in verse 19. Verse 20 shows us his aim, but I want us to see here Paul's attitude as well. Verse 21, a very famous verse. Uh, most of us, when we think of Philippians, we might even think of this verse. This kind of is the key verse here in Philippians. This and or Philippians 4.4 4, when it says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Either one of those are the key verses in this whole book. But verse 21 says, for to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Paul's attitude, first of all, was to live, is Christ. His whole purpose in life was Christ. Now, everyone lives for something or for someone. You currently are living for something or someone. Many people, if they were honest, would sum up their Goal with these words. For to me to live is possessions. I want to accumulate more. I want more money. I want more things. I want more toys. And so that is the definition of their life. They do all that they can to accumulate more. And so the verse that they would write would be, for to me to live is possessions. Some say, for to me to live is pleasure. I just want the next fun, exciting thing. And their whole life is chasing the next pleasure. Some would say, for to me to live is position or power or prestige. I want people to notice me. I want to be famous. I want to have a lot of followers. I want... Great power to be able to make big decisions and affect a whole lot of people. And some of those things are not necessarily wrong, and I'm thankful for godly Christians in authority. <coughs> but if that's our whole life's ambition, is to have position or power, I'm telling you, it's not the right focus. Think about uh, Pepsi, uh, the company Pepsi. And uh, they had a slogan some time ago. I don't think it's their current advertising slogan, but they used to have one. It was Pepsi, live for now. And the idea was that, hey, your life is right now. Just live for now. Don't worry about tomorrow. 
And uh, the idea is that we're not really focused on long-term effects of our life and decisions. Just live for now. Just live in the moment. Um, That's a dangerous philosophy. Some more noble purposes, though, some may say, well, for to me to live is my family. And certainly that's a lot more noble. I want to provide for my family, and my life is my family. My family is my life. I I understand that. I think that that's a a lot better than some of the things we've already mentioned. Uh, Maybe some, for to me to live is my cause that I'm so passionate about. And maybe it's a good cause. Maybe it's uh, removing abortion. I think that's a great cause. And that's good to be passionate about. But again, what is your life? What would your verse say? For to me to live is, what would it be for you? Obviously, what it should be is what Paul wrote. For to me to live is Christ. And what are you living for? And can I say anything other than Jesus is too low of a purpose? He is the highest purpose. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 4, when Paul was writing to the church at Colossae, he wrote this, When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. He should be our life. He should be our whole focus. After a wild life of pleasure, Augustine confessed, O God, thou hast made us for thyself, and our souls are restless until they find their rest in thee. If you're chasing something other than the Lord, I'm telling you, you're chasing something that's not going to completely satisfy. That's why we sung the song a few minutes ago, I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. I'd rather have Jesus more than riches, silver and gold, or houses or lands, or men's applause. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. Can you say that? Is that true for you? Or are you chasing the things that this world affords today more than you're chasing the Lord? Paul's attitude was, look, to live is Christ. But then he said, not only that, he also said in this verse, to die is gain. To die is gain. And the reason he could say to die is gain is because he said the first part of the verse, for to me to live is Christ. Because he had that in his life. Death was something that was going to bring great gain to him. Can you say to die is gain? Can you honestly say that? Now, honestly, not everybody can say that. For some, to die will be the greatest loss they will ever experience. So let me ask you, are you ready for death? Would death be great gain to you? Someone once said, you're not really ready to live until you're ready to die. So how about you? Are you ready to die? Now, don't worry. I hope that that doesn't happen to anybody here in the near future or even in the long distant future. I hope the Lord comes back, rescues us out of here through the rapture. I don't want to go by way of the undertaker. I want to go by way of the upper taker. But should the Lord tarry in his coming? Are you ready for that day? Because that day is coming for every one of us. And by the way, I'm not just talking about, are you ready by like having your affairs in order, 
your will, your insurance. I'm not talking about any of that. I'm talking about having your eternity settled. So are you ready to die? I think about the thief on the cross next to Jesus. Well, he wasn't ready to die and he knew it. He knew he was nigh unto death and that he was at eternity's door and that he wasn't prepared. So he turned to the only one who could give him eternal life and said, Remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And I'm thankful for the words of Christ when Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Are you ready for death? Would death be gain to you? If not, there's only one way that we can be saved and we can be ready, and that's through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Brother David, go ahead and show the video. We're going to watch a video at this time. A man fell in a hole. He fell in a hole and he couldn't get out. A traveler passed by. He told the man to meditate, to purify his mind, and when he reached Nirvana, all suffering would cease. The man did as he was told, but he remained in the hole. Another man appeared. He explained that the hole didn't exist, and neither, in fact, did the man. It was all an illusion. The man who did not exist was still stuck in the hole that was not there. Another visitor arrived. He instructed the man to perform good deeds to improve his karma, and though he would still die in the hole, he might be reincarnated as something magnificent. Another man looked down from above. He taught the man to pray five times a day facing east and to follow five important tenets. If he was faithful, one day, perhaps, the divine would set him free. The man prayed as best he could, but he was losing strength, and in the hole he remained. something different about him. He called down to the man in the hole and asked him if he wanted to be free. This man lowered himself into the earth, into the pit. He took hold of the man. If you're in the hole, there's only one way out. 
It's through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And that's the only way you can really be ready to die, is if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. For a Christian, death is not the extinguishing uh, is not extinguishing the light from the Christian. It is putting out the lamp because the dawn has come. Isn't that good? Like Paul, I, I know why you said to die is gain here in verse 21. It's because heaven is a wonderful place, right? It's because its beauty is unmatched. It's because there's a crystal sea and the streets there are made of pure gold and the gates are giant pearls. That's why you said to die is gain, right? No, not at all. Let's read verse 23. He says, For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. You know, in one of his books, A.M. Hunter relates the story of a dying man who asked his Christian doctor to tell him something about the place to which he was going. Well, as the doctor fumbled for a reply, he heard a, he heard a scratching at the door. And he had his answer. Do you hear that? He asked his patient. Uh, yes. Well, it's my dog. You see, I left him downstairs, but he has grown impatient and has come up and hears my voice. He has no notion what's inside, on our, what's inside this door, but he knows that I am here. And it is the same with you. You don't know what lies beyond that door, but you know that your master is there. And that is all that matters. The greatest part about heaven isn't the beauty that we're going to behold. It's not the mansion that we get to live in. It's the fact that Christ is there and we get to spend eternity with Him. We know very little about heaven, but I once heard a theologian describe it as an unknown region with a well-known inhabitant. And there is not a better way to think of it than that. Richard Baxter expresses the thought in these particular lines. He says, my knowledge of that life is small. The eye of faith is dim, but it's enough that Christ knows all and I shall be with him. And to those who learn to love and trust Christ, the prospect of meeting him face to face and being with him forever is the hope that keeps us going no matter what life may throw at us. I, I know that may, maybe some Christians might read this and say to die is gain. You know, what I'm going through right now is so difficult, maybe I should just die. Maybe I should just take matters into my own hand and escape from this life. I know we all, most of us know someone who has done that or have heard about it. And I know that death may seem like the best option when facing tremendous challenges and difficulties, but I can tell you this, that while God has given us breath, He has given us a purpose and Paul understood that purpose, and he wanted with all his being to fulfill that purpose and not to go to heaven any sooner than his purpose was fulfilled. On December 21st, 1899, so 120 years ago, after cutting short a Kansas City crusade and returning home in, in poor health, D.L. Moody, the great preacher of yesteryear, told his family, I'm not discouraged. I want to live as long as I'm useful. But when my work is done, I want to be up and off. Well, the next day, Moody awakened after a restless night. In careful, measured words, he said, Earth recedes, 
Heaven opens before me. And his son, Will, concluded his father was just dreaming at that point. He said, no, this is no dream, Will. It is beautiful. It is like a trance. If this is death, it is sweet. There is no valley here. God is calling me, and I must go. But D.L. Moody did not want to go before his purpose was fulfilled. And the fact that you're here this morning indicates that God still has a purpose and a plan for your life. And uh, for to me to live is Christ, Paul said, and to die is gain. That was his attitude. I want us to see very briefly, uh, number four today, Paul's anticipation. And this is found in verse 25 here. Having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith, that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you again. In verse 25, he fully anticipated that he would be released from prison. He said, having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all. And so he was confident that he would abide and continue with these believers that he's writing to. And I know that Paul trusted in the sovereignty of God to deliver in the sovereignty of God, but he also had the faith that he would be released. And I just want to kind of express to you this morning that it's good and healthy to expect God to see you through a trial. But I want to encourage all of us to trust his sovereignty as well. Because consider the thorn in, in the flesh that Paul wrote about in 2 Corinthians. I mean, Paul, the, the great man of faith. Well, he was given a thorn in the flesh in 2 Corinthians, and, and he asked three times that it would be removed. But in God's sovereignty, the thorn remained. And God had a plan and purpose for that trial in his life. So yes, I would encourage you to have faith and expect that God see you through, but also trust in the will of our good and gracious God to maybe let that trial continue for a little longer. So he anticipated that he'd be released from prison, but I know that there was a trust in God's sovereignty through it all as well. So secondly, though, he anticipated their rejoicing would abound. In verse 26, that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you again. He looked forward to the wonderful reunion that would take place after he was released from this Roman uh, house arrest and that he would be able to go visit the, family, the church family there. And he longed for the celebration of God's goodness in that moment. Now, a little spoiler alert. By deductive reasoning and study of other epistles, Paul was indeed delivered from this prison. And he was set free, and no doubt he made his way to the special church family. Imagine that fellowship meal celebration. Imagine the brownies and the cookies there in that one. But the time of celebration and rejoicing for the fact that Paul was released and God had answered their prayers once again. And so he anticipates all of that. I do want to say that this was a tough choice that Paul had before him, right? Between life and death. Both were important and good. Uh, living and fulfilling more of God's purpose for his life was something he deeply desired and wanted to do. But to die meant that he gets to pass from this life into the next and, and uh, no more sorrows, no more scars, no more heartaches. But you know what? He was content and completely content either way. In life, he had a purpose and it was to know and serve Christ. In death, he was longing to be with his Savior. What about you, though? Do you have a similar purpose in your life? 
And are you longing for your eternal home? Or does death scare you? For a Christian, death should not scare you. Um, Death is merely a servant that takes us uh, to our eternal home. A tough choice that Paul had, uh, much more tough than the ones we mentioned at the beginning this morning. I don't know that all of us have that choice, and uh, Paul really didn't have the choice whether he could do one or the other, because really it was all in God's hands, and it's all in God's hands in our lives as well. But I want to encourage us to have a life of purpose and a life where we're willing and uh, not not dreading death, but looking forward to it in some ways. Let's uh, pray together this morning. Lord, we, we thank you for this passage of Scripture. Lord, thank you for uh, Paul and his heart that he shares here with this church family. Help us to learn the lessons from it. Lord, when it comes to our attitude in life, help us, Lord, to uh, have you as our purpose and help us, Lord, to uh, look forward to that day when we get to pass from this life into the next. And, and while it may seem scary to some in our culture today, Lord, for a Christian, for a believer, it really is the uh, waking up in your presence would be a tremendous blessing. Help us to understand that and help us, Lord, to be ready. Help us to have an aim in our life like Paul did, to not be ashamed, to be bold for Christ and to magnify and lift and exalt you up to the people that we're, we have influence over. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.